Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Today, we are talking Before They Were Hanged. This is the second book in the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, and we are discussing only the first part. Why? Because, well, that's the only part that some of us have read. Uh, so, And, and, <laughs> and in, in keeping with our idiom. What's our idiom? I don't know what an idiom is, but that's what we did with the last book, so that's what we'll do with this book. Sure. Our idiom... <laughs> And uh, there's our local, or sorry, our resident idiom. It's Ken. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> That's it. And I got nothing for Ryan. I didn't prepare any yeah. actual insults. You're but an idiom. I'm an oxymoron. There, we go. <laughs> there, you there go. we go. I love it. I love it. Okay. That was, that was good. Uh, I'm Craig. He's, well, they, they, <laughs> they are an entity over there on the couch. That's Ryan and Ken. That's mm, um, the two-headed monster. Yep. All right, guys. So <laughs> we've got... That's uh, uh Or Stadler and Waldorf. No, don't. <laughs> just stop, so I can do my housekeeping and get it out of the way. Go clean house. Go. Okay. All right. So <laughs> remember to go to thelegendarium.com to check out previous episodes. Uh, you can check out all of our wares there. Uh, you can also get links to Discord, uh, at where you can join the conversation, and you can get a link to our Patreon as well. If you happen to enjoy what we do, we really appreciate the support very very much and let's talk about joe abercrombie's book shall we so where we left off uh in book one uh it, it was it, we, we talked a lot about how book one just felt like a giant prologue mm -hmm. um it was all set up uh you know i was kind of talking about yeah i was a little bored through this book nothing actually happened which depending on the type of book is okay I, it's not like i need action-packed you know constant right. uh, that that sort of constant drama or action i need to be entertained at all times <laughs> but so but it's clear that that it, this is not that kind of book you know book one was not um, it, it, this is not uh, wuthering heights or something right, mm -hmm, right. um it, so something was supposed to happen it's building towards something and it never did and so anyway now we're in book two and we get uh well almost to the bitter end of part one, meaning we're halfway through book two when something finally happens. All right, so something has happened. Ken, do you want to give us a recap? Heck yeah, do I? All right. I spent literally like minutes writing this thing, so so we'll see how this goes. Uh, have you ever had that experience where you start a book and it ends up being like three separate books running simultaneously? Because that's where we're at, just as... Uh, just as was set up at the end of book one. Everybody's splitting off in the north. Now Colonel Colum West is trying to make a stand against a surprisingly organized barbarian horde that pretty much no one is taking seriously, especially not the turd of a crown prince. They're stacking bodies and it's going to leave the royal army decimated. But hey, you know who is still alive? Dogman. He even says it. I love that. <laughs> so he and the rest of the rogue barbarians have, that have beef with Bethod, they uh, join up and stand with Colum West and the royal forces for now, which is a good thing because when they pull the prince and West and some hottie and her dad out of certain death, they'll come back later, which is good. Meanwhile, an increasingly cranky Baez is heading west with Logan Farrow and Giselle and an increasingly creepy apprentice in search of a MacGuffin at the end of the world. There's lots of walking, lots of talking, which gives one dandy space waster, Jezel, Giselle, Jezel. <laughs> every time I read oh. it, I, every time. Giselle, like an enchanted Giselle. Dan Luther, 
to have a growth moment thanks to a really great conversation with Logan and years of classroom training put into real-world practice. Now we get another fighter as they keep going, which is great since Baez short-circuited himself like a tilted pinball machine and his his apprentice seems inclined to uh, kill him and take his place as the new Baez. Maybe? I don't know. Weird. Meanwhile, in the South, now Superior Glockter is trying to simultaneously shore up the defenses of the border city Dagoska against the Gurkish hordes while trying to snuff out traitors who helped disappear his last superior and also ending apartheid, tracking down his... <laughs> Just, you know. You as, know. As a, whatever. That too. Okay. Tracking down his predecessor and the conspirators, that, not the constipators. Yeah. That was pretty easy once... Uh, uh, you have to explain that. You have You're to, reading off your you iPad. You have to spell check. People who are watching, they get it. <laughs> The conspirators was pretty easy uh, once a million bucks showed up from some mysterious benefactor that was mentioned in the first book and is showing up now. Keeping himself from facing the same fate was a little bit tougher and freakier when his eater valet shows up to, well, eat him. She offers a dire warning as it takes three inquisitors to subdue her. The eaters are coming and their tummies are making the rumblies that only hands can satisfy. <laughs> what is creepier than the eaters? They seriously are freaking freaky. Yeah, I, I don't know. That and and that if anybody ever wanted to know Ken's personality in a phrase, it was that one right there. <laughs> so go ahead and rewind, hit your back 15 seconds. Yeah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Ken Johnson. There you go. I feel like my work here is done after 9 years. <laughs> All right. So, three questions. Is the apprentice just a fan of whatever version or whatever their versions of true crime? I'm going to reread that. Wow. <laughs> What was your question, Ken? <laughs> is The Apprentice, Baez's Apprentice, is he just a fan of whatever their version of the true crime podcasts are, or is he really trying to kill Baez? That's question one. Question two, the mist around the Northmen, that wasn't simply coincidence, right? That was probably Beth Odd's Magus girl. Yes, and uh, Number three, do you think Glockter regrets what he's become? Because I like his little introspection thing at the end of uh, the part there. So Okay. All right, there you go. And like Logan's father, my dad used to always say you can never have enough knives, so I guess I'm just a little bit like Logan. Uh-huh. Let's go with that. Yeah. 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 You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. All, All right, right, Ken. Recap out. Let's go back to your questions. They're, they're good questions. So read your first question again uh, um, correctly. Baez's apprentice, is he just creepy in some forensic fashion, or is he seriously trying to kill Baez and take his place? Because that's okay. what I'm banking on. So, so recap for those. Uh, maybe it's been a little while since they read it, and they, they've forgotten the specifics. Uh, go ahead and tell us why you bring this up. What is okay? So I'll set it up a little okay. bit. Baez uh, does his vaporizing trick again. This time with four soldiers. Yes, um, he did it with one previously at the end of book one. Mm-hmm. One, I think. I think it was yeah. just one, and now it's four. And you know, magic comes with a cost and all this stuff. It always has to in all these books. So. He vaporizes four soldiers, and that kind of lays him out. As you say, short circuits him. It short circuits him. Kind of puts him into a coma. Right. There's a scene where the apprentice is leaning over him, uh, kind of tending to him, and he he makes an offhand remark like, oh, I could, he's so weak, I could just reach out with one hand. I could just reach out, and I could kill him right now. Um, Is there anything else that uh, that makes you think? And even, even, I think it was Logan, but somebody, I think it was Logan, let's go with Logan, uh, remarks in the book it's like well that's a little bit creepy <laughs> right so i mean so it wasn't just me that said that but he's also um i can't Kwai malicus Kwai. that's his mm. name and Baez both seem to have had radical 
personality personality changes since the last book. It seemed like Baez seemed uh, kind of affable a little bit. Uh, I, I don't whimsical, I guess, for yeah, lack of a better good. word. Yeah, that's a good word for but it. But now this, through this entire first part, he just seemed surly and he seemed uh, short tempered and. I, I almost like the the pressure of doing whatever he has to do has kind of gotten to him. Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. But he's he's been uh, not quite the same as we've expected before that. And meanwhile, his apprentice, who was kind of scatterbrained and and a little bit naive in the past, is now he seems distracted or he seems like there's there's something that he isn't letting on, but is distract is. Um, I don't know, making, for lack of a better term, making him creepy. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know? Um, okay. plus, plus, he's the one that tells us that when a wizard or when a magus draws power to do something, he draws it from the other side, the great right. beyond, wherever. And if you draw too much of that, that can. This is like the, kill the, new, the new Doom video games. Yeah. It's Argent Energy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Hell so, energy. Ugh. So he's short circuited himself, which apparently he's done in the past. It just hasn't taken him this long to gather his resources again and okay so here we are well, that's interesting that specific moment if you go back and listen or look at that moment uh Baez responds differently when he goes to cast the spell than any other time he uh, i think he cries out like uh not you know what now like now is not like, like it's not now is not a good time but it's essentially he had just yeah. shot something like yeah. that and then collapses so it's interesting i yeah, there's something going on. Something there. happening. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it did not escape my attention that um, during the uh, kind of expo dump, uh, when Baez is explaining the history of the the I, I can't remember the names of all the people, so yeah. forgive me. The the one that starts with a J, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a bunch of them. One of them starts with a J. Who cares? Uh, he's explaining the history of uh, of kind of their world. And he does mention all all magic. You know, it, where this this puts magicians in a tricky place because all magic comes from the other side. And so, how do you do magic without breaking the first law? Whatever. And then uh, it's a little while later that he does the the vaporizing thing. Yeah. Um, and and that so my my read on the uh, on the what now thing was he's talking to somebody who's on the other side saying, well, time for you to pay the piper. Oh, could be. Um, or something, you know, something yeah. along those lines uh, where now, you know, maybe his mind is pulled to hell for a while as a, you know, like a, a payment or I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. Ryan's could laughing because Ryan knows. Because Ryan's read up. Ryan's yeah. read the whole trilogy and far This is where he goes to fight the Balrog. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was caused out of space and time. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, and then, and then, oh, oh, but let me go back to the personality shift. Okay. Um, my read on Baez is just that, uh, is that he has his public persona and his real persona and that he is, that he tries not to let out his real self very much. Um, and so when you say he just seems so affable and and kind of goofy and whatnot, I guess I just figured that was that was show him. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's a show version. Um, whereas I can see more what you're talking about with uh, Malachus Kwai, that he he has undergone some kind of shift. And now there 
that could be a deliberate thing. You know, something happened to his character that maybe I missed, right. uh, you know, some event that I should have paid more attention to that, that advanced his, um, his personality or his growth. Uh, or it could be sloppy writing, you know, Hey, I need him to no. be this kind of character now. And it could be a ruse uh, like bias too. True. True. You know, he could have been playing the, the Rube and now he's, we're seeing his real personality because Baez thing. is out of the, the picture at the moment. He's yeah. taking advantage of that opportunity. I will say that the, the whole concept Baez deals with people on the level that they need to be able to take, to deal with, to him. deal with Baez. Yeah. And that changes over time. You know, he's had enough time with Giselle and with other people that it's like, some of that personality shift is like, okay, you, I, I dealt with you with kid gloves at the beginning for a little bit because I needed to, but now it's I can, time for you to grow up. It's time to have some more serious conversations and you can take me a little more as I normally would be. As I, right. You know, yeah. My mage form and a little less the <laughs> other nicer the goofy form. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to mention with, uh, with both of them, uh, is in order to seek out the position that Baez is in, you know, the first of the Magi for, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of years. I don't know mm -hmm. how old he is. Um, but originally, in order to seek that out, it, it's a bit like um, who in the world would want to become president of the United States? You know, yeah. this, this just sounds right. like an awful job, right? But people really want that. It, but it's a certain type of ladder climbing, narcissistic, whatever. <laughs> okay, not all the time, but uh, <laughs> but more often really? than not. Um, it's, you know, somebody who you, you don't get there by accident. Right. Yeah. right. And, um, and anyway, so that I'm sure was true of Baez, right? He, he wanted to be the apprentice to something that started with a J. Juvens. Juvens. Thank you. Juvens. All right. Um, and then similarly with Malachus Kwai, it's, if he's, if he's feeling a little creepy, if he's feeling a little dangerous for Baez, it's, well, Yeah. Who would want to deal with this power that necessitates a connection to the other side that obviously takes a very heavy toll? He knows about it. Malchus Gwai, he knows the rules. He knows the history. He knows the laws, the whatever. Yeah. Um, and and he continues anyway. Uh, you know, and he wants to progress and, uh, you know, maybe someday take Baez's place. Um and so, so I guess uh, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he would be at least that at least the thought would occur to him. Hey, if I take him out, I get to be in charge. I could be I'm the, the well. He wouldn't be the first of the major, <clears throat> no, but, but he would be in his place in the like in the quest. Right. That's, yeah. So there are plenty of other magi still. I shouldn't say plenty. There well, are one, other magi. One shows there. up in uh, in Dagoska. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Mm -hmm. The same um, one that same brought one. Pharaoh yep. to uh Baez. But before we go there, can we stick with the the Baez group for a I moment? I would love to. Um, because that go with the fellowship for now. That uh <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is the fellowship uh, group. Because Logan and Giselle, the mm -hmm. one that one chapter where they actually have a talk, that was up until that point I was like, This group is completely uninteresting. Well now we're getting somewhere because it's a chance for Logan to impart some wisdom and, and it's a, well, even more than that, it's in part, it's a, a chance for uh, Giselle to grow finally, which you promised us was yeah. going to happen. So, um, 
so here's the his first lesson is that this big clumsy oaf, I guess I'll talk to him, even though he's not worth my time. Come to find out, yeah, he knows pretty much everything that you think you know. And now you're about to learn. And then he gets the practical lesson, you know, shortly after. Mm. That uh, whole section, I really, I mean, it turned the section on its head for me. I just loved how that twist of fate worked out I do for like, Giselle. I do like the uh, Giselle's manifestation of learning the lesson later on where you know he's just he's standing he's got his swords oh the, and, the guys are coming at him and he actually yeah. like hey i can do this all that and years then he gets his face smashed in afterwards <laughs> anyway like he does this, he does a good job and, it's great all those years of training all those years of basically classroom work that's pretty yeah, much yeah. all the duels yeah, yeah. were now pay off because he just in the moment he lets that take over and which is kind of what you would think would happen if you do you know, oh, years sure, and years sure. and years of training, then you're in the moment it's and you let point. instinct kick o- or take over. That's going to happen. And then the moment that instinct wears off and you're back in the moment, you get your face smashed in because you're not paying attention. I, I agree that um, I really like Giselle's uh, growth or or at least the spark of it. It, it has begun. It, That's it. a spark of growth. Getting his right. face smashed in is actually going to be really good for his personality, I think. <laughs> um, but anyway, I actually... I, I really like reading um, Logan in these sections. And the reason for that uh, is I see him so far in the story, you know, uh, through the last book in this one, as a great example of of a type of character work that I like a lot in books. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll bring up Elantris. I won't spoil the ending or anything, but uh, a lot of people dislike Elantris because they feel like, oh, the, you know, outside of Raythan, the characters don't grow at all. There's there's no like character growth. Um, but I always defend it by saying you, that's not a requirement for a story. It's a great way to tell a story about a character. But another thing you can do is to take a fully formed and functional human being and put them in situations and see how they react to situations and see how other people react to them and how they react to others. And it's not necessarily about, oh, they have all these lessons they need to learn to become, you know, the the best version of themselves. It's no, they, they, they are where they need to be. Now let's see how they react. Um, and that's kind of, at least up to this point, that's, I don't know about where he needs to be, but he is yeah. who he is. And there's no uh, talking about Logan. Right. Logan doesn't go through any character growth that I can remember in the last book and a half. Uh, but he does get to we, we get to see him apply previously earned wisdom to new situations and people. And so there's the bit where in the he consciously with every member of the the crew, but especially Giselle and what's her name? Pharaoh. 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 Um, with Giselle and Pharaoh, he says uh, it just takes uh, small gestures and patience or small gestures and time or something like that to win someone over. This is something that he learned from previous troops or groups that he was in. Um, and so does this make sense? I, I, I love this kind of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where it's a, I guess it's a bit like how Baez he's the character who knows everything because he lived through it all. Mm-hmm. And so he can deliver exposition. And right. now we have Logan who's, he, he's seen some stuff as we say. Um, and now he can impart that wisdom 
and so, which is good for the other characters, but it's also good for the reader, right? Right. To He's, to see these things dispensed. I agree with the sentiment, but for, I I view it slightly different. Bring it on. In the sense yeah. that, for me, it's not necessarily that they're fully formed. Everything they they are further along in their path than someone who's at the starting point, but especially for Logan, it's someone who is trying to maintain in a maintain a single place. He's trying to be a better man. He mm -hmm. constantly talks about, I'm trying to be a better man. And so he's trying to lock himself into this place because as long as I do this and this, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the, I'm not, uh, the bloody nine. The bloody nine, nine yeah. This. And so his isn't about necessarily getting his character to a different place. It's him fighting against things, trying to change him back. It's things trying to pull mm. him back into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's a different type of, it's not, it's not growth the way we think about it. But it is a Retention. resistance and a friction that you have to, that you yeah. can enjoy as a yeah. reader, feeling that at any moment he could slip back. You know, this this could slip back and all of his hope, everything he's been working for falls away because it sits so close on, close to the edge mm -hmm. versus someone like, like a Baez who is, honestly, Baez is just himself. He's not going to change. He's far enough down the path that he is right. who he is. Um, but Logan, I think, still has the friction of of being pulled away from where he wants to be. Right. Yeah, no. Baez is like a, a pensioner times 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, or a uh, retiree. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, something about Logan. What What were you just saying? Logan, uh, you, you have to jar my memory again. That he's trying to keep what he is and not <laughs> regress back to the bloody nine? Is that? Back. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. The bit about the bloody nine. I did think it was very interesting in that kind of climactic uh, battle scene on the hillside or wherever it was when he says, boy, I could have used the bloody nine now. Where mm. is he when I need him? <laughs> right. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting. This isn't, uh, I kind of read it in the first book as uh, kind of, um, you know, an incredible Hulk situation where he says, okay, it's time. Let's, let's do our secret? thing. I'm always right? angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> right. Um, but here we get him kind of suggesting to me that this isn't something that's under his control necessarily. Um, and, and that this is kind of a, a different person, mm -hmm. um, so is this a consequence of his being able to speak with spirits? Is that, uh, is that, does he literally get possessed when he's in a certain kind of battle focused state of mind? And, you know, it, yeah. I, I don't know the answers to these, but, uh, but that was a very interesting moment for me with, uh, with Logan. All right. All right. So let's, uh, shall we, shall we talk about some of the other groups? Should we move on to Glockta? Let's do. Yeah. Glockta in Degaska. With the, I, Gurkish. With, the with, Gurkish. The yeah. with the Gurkish. With the Gurkish. With the Gurkish. Dear Lord. <laughs> it's enough to give a man a headache. It's like a Tim Conway joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 before we get to Glockta in Degasco with the Gurkish. <laughs> I say one more thing about the others. Um, I realized during Baez's uh, info dump that I love a good info dump. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we it's a it's a meme. There, we make fun of them all the time, and yes, they can be handled very poorly. Captain okay. exposition and all that, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Um, but at, at the end of the first book, I was like, you know what? I'd really like to know anything, <laughs> right? Juvens, anything, and all the history, uh, yeah, anything. 
<laughs> who are these people? Where are they from? What are they doing? Why? I'd like to know yeah. anything. <laughs> and so it, it was it was about a quarter or a third of the way through book two when we got something fireside chat something yeah. and even then there's the bit when uh when uh what's his the apprentice is telling the story um and he gets to a certain point and he's going to reveal the location that uh what's his name the the evil brother was digging at um and Baez stops him and he's like whoa 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 mm-hmm. let's not give away the farm <laughs> And of course, that's Abercrombie speaking directly to us like, hey, hey, I'm not going to give you everything. And I just kind of want to double barrel him at that moment. Like, hey, hey. I could tell you, but not gonna. (laughs) Putting up both middle fingers and saying, I want to know something. Anyway, but I got a little something and it it was interesting to me that, that I guess I didn't realize how much I do enjoy the lore and the history behind these stories that we read. You like a good dump. That's what you're saying. Everybody likes a good dump. And it's, you know, therapeutic sometimes. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> when you don't know what's going on, a good a good dump can clarify okay. things. So, Glockta Indigasca with the go. Gurkish. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> what are the standouts from this section to you? What do you want to talk about? Uh, so, this is, this section especially is where we get to spend a little more time in political machinations. Um because yes, there's a big battle looming. There's an army sitting outside this. He's been given an unwinnable task. It's the you know the Kobayashi Maru of the First Law trilogy here, and um, he's not going to go out and fight these people. He's not going right. to rally troops. Like he's his, got his task is save is to figure out what happened to the prior superior and save the Degasca from the Gurkish. Right. That's that's what he's been sent to do. Um, as a thank you for all of his <laughs> his hard work, hard yeah. work before, Which, and he knows it's bullcrap. Yeah. yeah, and as soon as he gets there, like you realize everything is run down. The town is run by a a, a totally different group than it's supposed to be run by. There, uh, everything is just falling apart. And I love his. I love this section. I normally find these to be like meh, but I love Glockta in Degasca, like. With the Gurkha. Yes. With the can Gurkha. We, yeah. Can we just say that as many times as possible? <laughs> I want this to be our next t-shirt. <laughs> but the fact is, uh, and we get, I, was, I asked you guys beforehand, like, okay, we get to the point where Valentin Bulk show up with a bunch of money and give him the opportunity to do this. This You get, you got to explain for, it just, I'm sure a lot of people know, but for those who, for whom it's been a while. So one of the things is he's, he's been promising money and all, and reinforcements and everything coming from back home. Like it's it's going to be sent. His eminence will send it. I promise you. Lying because he actually doesn't know. And then when <laughs> through, he sends through his you know, few teeth, yeah. When he actually writes to his eminence and says, "This is what I need," he's like, "Nope, too bad. Sucks to be you. Just use what you've got. Make the merchants pay for it. Do something like that." And the people who are in charge are the the kind of the heads of the merchants and then and a handful of people. And so he has to go through and kind of take each one of them and get to know each one of those people. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately ends up just getting a a secret benefactor of this bank of Valentin Bulk shows up with the money he needs to save the day. Times two. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he does is he, he pays off the mercenaries and he is able to keep Degasca going for a little bit longer, at least. Can I say, I I found that particular um, storytelling stroke really uh, uh, 
realistic or believable mm-hmm. that uh, it, it's not something that is often acknowledged in stories about battles and warfare and all that stuff. Um, it used to be that <laughs> storytellers didn't bother with uh, you know things like supply chains, Thing, things yeah. like um, war takes money. R- but yeah. now we have a really really clear example of no, it costs a lot to defend a city, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is not. It's not free, and it's not just oh, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. No, it's it's taking him an ungodly amount of money to mount the defense, and it's and things are lost right up until he has that money. Um, it's I, there there are those of us who you know who would prefer that money wasn't a thing, and oh, can't we just live, you know, without, oh, money, it's this horrible, well, but it's the reality, and the reality sure. is that this is the, it's the oil that, you know, keeps the machine of the world turning. Right. Um, and if you don't have money, something else becomes money. Well, I mean, anyway, we, yeah, we're done, I, I we're need, done with money, but okay, well, now bicycles are currency, well, you know, yeah, whatever. I, I don't want to get too philosophical about the nature of money, uh, but just that, just that I liked it. It was a nice stroke in this story. Yeah. So, I agree. Um, shoot, and that that triggered something in my in my mind, and now I just lost it. Yeah, well, I, you know, now you know how I feel. I'm hmm. the one who usually has a <laughs> thought and can't hold on to it. Oh, or, no, it came back. It got came it back. back. Let's hold See, it really quick. This is, this, I just vamp for a minute, and there now he's off to the races. Um, this is an example. I know you kind of wanted to talk about this, and maybe if we need to put a pin in it, we can. But that is an example of why I think this fits grimdark. Oh, yes, we do want to talk about... I oh, want to yeah. talk about Grimdark. Okay. Um, specifically because one of the, some of the key elements of, of Grimdark is kind of the, the amorality and the, it, it's not always like a hero it's not stepping... A, it's not an anti-hero, but it's anti-heroic. Yeah. Yes. that makes sense. The will of the people isn't going to save your walls. Like it's, it's yeah. going to... Like this it's, is the, the reality that sits in here that says, this is why this qualifies as Grimdark because otherwise you would have the mercenaries are given a rousing speech and they stand on the wall and 300 of them turn away the Gurkish army from the single crack that's still sitting there. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that would be a more heroic epic of a different genre. This is grimdark. That's not how that happens. The money greases the palms, yeah, yeah, yeah. which keeps Degasca going. I think is correct as far as, you know, what people are thinking of with grimdark. But I will say I don't like that definition. Mm-hmm. The reason being, basically, what we're saying is grimdark is realistic, right? Right. Where we have a word for that, and mm. that's realistic. Realistic. Yeah. Um, where I kind of feel like, okay, if it's going to be grimdark, this had better be more horrible than the real world. You know, it, it's got to be worse than anything that we experience or have experienced as the human race. Maybe I don't know if yeah. our imaginations go that far. Uh, but everything I've read so far is like, well, yeah, that seems about right, mm-hmm. which feels less like grimdark to me. It, like, it, I guess a, as a word, as a term, I wish grimdark maybe meant something else, if that's what it means. Well, yeah. grimdark is in itself is is a word formed by some. I can't remember the exact phrase. I'd have to look it Ryan's up. Got it. it. Well, it's <laughs> what it was Grim a, and dark. Grim. It was a, yes, actually, actually, yes. It, <laughs> This is my favorite moment. This is the... No, I lied. The last 15 seconds are now Ken Johnson. 
this is the greatest thing that's ever happened on this podcast. It was it was taken from a phrase from Warhammer 40K about something being the grim dark reality of something something yeah. something. Oh, okay. And it was it was jammed together as this is what grim dark is, you know, is so so it is by its very nature grim and dark and depressing and hopeless and everybody is out for themselves <laughs> and nobody wants to help their neighbor, you know, that sort of, that's the that's the very nature of grim dark and basically the poster child of Grimdark to me has always been great Game of Thrones or A Song sure. of Ice and Fire. That's that's the textbook definition of Grimdark to me, and I find them depressing. That kind of makes me want to make a uh, like another a, T-shirt, a graph or something where it's like epic fantasy, heroic tale, Grimdark on one side, and then just a slider for where reality sits right. at any given time. Are we living more in a Grimdark? Right. I mean, every every individual person is going to slide along that constantly. Sure. Um, and so will, you know, uh, civic groups and states and nations and the world at large. Right. It's always going to be sliding between the two. Some sort of general. It's like the uh, the color warnings for travel or for fires or whatever. <laughs> Today's a more green, grim, dark day. This when we're going back towards yellow, happy <laughs> Epic fantasy. Just let me know what. Let me know where we're at at any given time. So green. Can, green is for grim dark, huh? I. That's, is this like a puke green? Because uh, it's not going to be like a jolly forest green or something. Yeah, I'd probably go. It's like <laughs> like a military <laughs> olive green, not neon limeish green. That's <laughs> oh jeez, faded upholstery. And this this seventies upholstery. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. please go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support these kinds of conversations. This is the analysis okay? you cannot get anywhere else. This is else. why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> if you want merch, we can find ugly green merch that says Glockta and Dagoska with the Gurkish. Glockta and Dagoska with the Gurkish. In the Grim Dark. Yes. <laughs> Grim Dark Galaska in mm. Dagoska. Okay, no, I need to now start. Now we're just okay. losing it. No, I do. I I did want to talk a little bit more about Grim Dark and the the moment that I felt like, oh, okay, this this is the thing from this section that makes this Grim Dark. Um, and it wasn't the violence. I mean, a lot of books are violent, and there were some violent moments in this bit. Um, <laughs> let's not downplay that. Oh, yeah. But it was the result of the two major battles there's the small one with the the fellowship of the whatever we're calling them the band of the merry hand the fellowship of the box um i'm gonna let that one slide (laughs) and i'm gonna let that one slide okay uh (laughs) what was i oh yeah no the two major battles in dagoska and then the other what's the other place uh where Callum west is He's no. up in Anglan. I can't remember the name of the... Well, they're in the north. Yeah. Anyway, so Callum West and then Glockta, they've got their respective battles. And the in the case of Major West, it is a rout. Colonel West now. Sorry, Colonel West. Yeah. Colonel West gets routed because uh, the prince was left in charge and he's an absolute idiot. And always um, got a sycophants for right. advisors. It's, yeah, I mean, we could talk about him for a while, I'm sure. But right now, my point is just that, yeah, they get routed because the, the decision-making was very, very poor from the top. Um, and hundreds, thousands of soldiers die as a result, right. presumably. We haven't actually seen the aftermath of the battle yet, and there's going to be more to come. But on the other, on the other hand, the battle is so far... Again, we don't have the final result yet, but so far the battle is actually going okay for Glockta's side. Um, right. And 
here's why in my mind this is grimdark the first one is it, it's it's very much like the leaders screwed up and you know the the kind of rich upper crusty decision makers screwed up and who pays the price a bunch of peasants uh, a bunch of beggars and farmers and you know people who don't have any business fighting in a war right. are paying the price for this idiocy. Um, so that's already uh, kind of a, a grim, darky thing. And then on the other side, you have Glockta, who has the thought, I, I'm i winning so far. Things are going okay, but now I wish they weren't. <laughs> I wish I didn't. I wish I hadn't won this because he learns things about what it means to win, you know, as far as... Um, the the destruction of the city yeah. it's getting shelled now catapulted mm -hmm. um, the, so the city's getting destroyed it's uh, which which if nothing else even if it weren't for the human life would be an economic catastrophe for this town um, and it, something about the the Spicer's Guild is well it's uh, anyway but point oh. being he he just says um, everything I'm doing to win is actually making all these people's lives worse. Right. Including my own and everybody around me. Everybody's life is worse for having won. And that's grimdark. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. You won. You idiot. It's a world full of Pyrrhic victories. Congratulations. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now respond. Well, that's basically that's it in a nutshell. He finds out that the conspiracy that he's been sent here to uncover is actually not quite so bad, but now he's kind of committed himself to exposing the conspiracy and starting this war. Right. The conspiracy. Sorry. No, I, I was saying now he doesn't want to. And yeah, the conspiracy basically was how are we going to hand the city over to the Gurkish um, and, and do it without implicating ourselves Yeah, uh, and giving, giving it away to the empire that right. that's what we're doing. Um, and of course, that's what Glock is there to stop, which he does, and then realizes that they were doing it for at least seemingly pretty noble reasons. Yeah, right. Trying to uh, minimize the bloodshed. Right. Everybody's it's, the good guy in their own story. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, grimdark. There's your grimdark right there. It's not the violence. It's the uh, it's the weight of crushing morosity. Well, um, there's one other thing before we leave area uh he reveals a an event reveals um kind of a big plot element um when they the three practicals capture the girl who is oh. the eater yes okay like yeah. we haven't eaters have been mentioned but we haven't really we we saw them just a little bit uh, when Pharaoh was getting chased out of, or she yeah. and right. she gets saved by the other uh, magician guy. Yeah, what was you, 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 Uriel, Yulway, Thank you, Yulway, Yui, Safeway. What? No, so, I don't know. Starts with a Y. <laughs> no, um, but this but, is the first chance we get to see them in action and we see kind of how they work a little bit more. Being chased through a city or being chased around is is one thing, but seeing that these people will actually put themselves inside of uh, like they'll they'll take over someone else's position and they can make themselves look different ways like that shape shapeshifters basically yeah it's like okay so that's uh you know being familiar with other that 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 trope in other 
series, you know, yeah. Tundra or other things. It's, it's a, they can actually, yeah. Uh, camouflage themselves into society. And, you know, that's, that's something, it's just one of those things that you, you now get to see that that can be a bigger element to deal with than other than just being scary henchmen that chase you around. You know, I'd, I'd be interested to find out where that fear came from. Uh, hu- uh, I'm talking about human nature, that mm-hmm. that deep-seated fear that we have that um, of, of, of like shapeshifters and uh, possession and all that yeah. stuff. Where did this come from? I'm, I'm really genuinely curious because um, it, it's worked into stories since you know time immemorial yeah, yeah. I mean, so you can look in a lot of cultures i know in the celtic culture changelings it was like if your child was misbehaving or if things they had a disease or whatever that a changeling had taken the mm-hmm. original child and become them and yeah like that's that's interesting <laughs> way back way back when some caveman guy put mud on his face or something and walked in like, oh, different man. And, oh, no. And now we're all, now we all have this ingrained in us now. So, Ryan, Ryan cracked the code. There, there it is. Now, okay. So, no. Human nature can be boiled down to what happened in the cave. So, that's where the erosion of trust began. Ryan, right there. We promised never to talk about what happened in that cave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my therapist knows. So, <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Cat's out of the bag. Um, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, human nature to be f- scared of people who eat other people. Well, there is that. I mean, that's a, well. <laughs> Again, that's caveman pudding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please don't eat me. Um, where, where are we at? Oh. I mean, uh, that's just uh, freaky. One more thing that I wanted to bring up um, that, I, that I thought was, uh, it's just a great little nugget that jumped out to me as I was reading uh, before we leave the Glockta in Tagaska with the Gurkish. Um <laughs> is the conversation that he has with uh, Eider. The, she's the merchant's guild, yeah. head of the merchant's guild, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and he's asking her, how, so how did you get into this position anyway? You're the only woman on the small council, uh, or whatever it's called. You're, it, it's, this is not a group that's famed for its uh, lack of sexism, right? Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are? And she, she tells the story about how um, uh, my husband always had a good nose for a bargain. His health began to decline soon after we were married, and I took a more active role in the management of his affairs and those of the guild. By the time I died, by the time he died, I <laughs> was magister in all but name, and my colleagues were sensible enough to formalize the arrangement. And then came the line that really grabbed my attention. attention. The Spicers have always been more concerned for profit, profit than propriety. And I love this concept. It goes back to... Um, uh, it, it's one of like the fundamental things about trade um, and uh, trade and money and profit and business and all that stuff. It kind of feels icky to us. And I think the reason it feels icky to us is because it is this kind of eroding force where, you know, if profit is what you're after, lots of other things fall by the wayside, which can feel really icky if it's eroding something that you like. However, it also erodes a lot of other things that we don't like, right? So things like sexism, things like racism, things like uh, nationalism or, or you know, whatever um, isms you want to put on there, they all kind of fall away if you're both looking to benefit from trade. Uh, and it's, I, I I guess I, I love this concept and I've it's something that I've wanted to learn a little bit more about the economics of 
of trade, um, or I, I should say that the social realities of, of trade mm-hmm. are fascinating to me. Um, and it was that just that little line in there. And it's a funny word, propriety, because we think that, oh, that's propriety is a good thing. It's proper and it's it's about manners and whatnot. Well, yeah, kind of. But in a society like this, propriety dictates that a woman should not be in this role. Um, right. But when it's about profit and if she's the one who can bring in the most profit, go for it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're open to that. Sounds pretty nice to me, you know? So it's, it's, I guess it's just one of those things. Profit is a dirty word in our day and age, uh, but it doesn't have to be all the time. I think a lot of people might misjudge uh, or, or take that phrase profit over propriety and misjudge it to be, well, in that case, the ends justify the means. Mm, and right. that's, not exactly the same. No, and I, I wouldn't think so. I because I was like my initial response to the that phrase "profit over propriety" uh, was like was that exact feeling like well that just means you can do whatever you want as long as you're making a profit because you can just throw propriety. It was like no 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 take a minute think about that that's not what it's actually saying there. And, right, and yeah. it's and uh, you know again. It's the the seeking of profit over all other things is a terrible idea, right? It, it has to be tempered by principles and all the right. whatever. Um, but yeah, sometimes the result not so bad. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we have one more group that we need to talk about in the next five minutes, um, and that is some other group. Ryan, who are we missing? Uh, the North, the Northman. Oh yeah, yeah the, the Dogman and his crew. Um, which. which that means we have two other groups to talk about. Well, it's like, it's like group 1A and group 1B. Because Dogman gets connected with Colum West and his crew. They, they start out separate, but they end up together as their common foe unites them, essentially. And right. The, the Dogman and his crew kind of look at uh, Colum West and his group and go, oh, you guys are not ready for this. You guys, yeah. y- you talk a very big game, but you are not ready for us because... You're all too pampered. And you're not ready for this. Right. We'll help though. Like we we hate Beth Autumn for right now. Yeah. The enemy of my enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Type thing. We've got mutual beef. So here we go. Yeah. And so he ends. They end up being connected, and being at the very at least at the very beginning. Uh, it's really frustrating. Like groups like um like Prince Ladislav and stuff like that that treat him like oh the pet Northman. Well we'll send them off on the menial task because they can't right. really. Doing anything, not realizing that they are your best. <laughs> your <laughs> they best should be your generals. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, I, I, honestly, in their storyline, it's a lot of individual character building, especially with Dogman, you know, coming to grips with being the leader and stuff like that. But the big point is that they are now connected to West and their army and his army, and they're going to be facing Bethods. You have the right. Bethod war, the the war in the north with Bethod. You have the war in the south with the Gurkish. Then you have our fellowship who are heading out. That's those are your three storylines. Yeah. Um, now, because we've ignored, Audie, the, we left Audie West behind, and she's just that's true. And I, I, I am curious to see what's going to happen with Audie. Um, with the Northmen, um, I was a little confused, maybe because I was going too quickly at the end. But did they save Callum West and the Prince, or did they switch sides? Because they took off when they realized that Prince Ladislav was. 
a complete dolt. No, they um, and they they took off. They're like, yeah, we're out of here. We're not dealing with this. And then they showed up again, and I couldn't tell if it was like Han Solo coming back with the Millennium Falcon. They bring him. They was come that what back. It was? Yeah, they come back and they take uh, Ladislav and West and the Smith and his daughter. And they're taking him to the other army. The army is split into two. It's uh, oh, what's okay, his name okay, who okay. trained Giselle in sword mastery and right. all that and dueling. He's got one part of the army off to the flank, and and uh, Ladislaw has the there other was side a dummy of the army. army that was left behind, just like to give the prince something to do and keep him out of the way. Right, and, just- and then he decides to be stupid and right, you know, get his grand victory, and that screws everything up. And so they're they're taking those guys back to the main bulk it of the was, army. The, and, the thing that confused me was, I think it was Dogman who started laughing and saying, right. like, oh, he's going to love is gonna this. love this, yeah. Uh, and I was like, why, why are you, like, why is this so funny? And is it because, I was like, did you switch sides when I, I wasn't looking? <laughs> I think it was an I told you so moment. Okay. Is what, right. oh, yeah, they what came, are you saying? They came back and helped out because, yeah, okay. they were like, oh, this is a lost cause, but... And they were like, yeah, it's a lost cause, and that's that's our thing. We're going right. to go back and do that. Okay. All it, was, right. it was interesting to juxtapose that army with, not juxtapose, but when you put that army together with the Fellowship and Logan's talking to Giselle, because he's telling him the, the three things to to win a fight. One, don't underestimate your opponent. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. Act the act the coward. That's, you know, every, basically, um, Logan, is, Logan's is over the, here giving giving example or giving direction of what not to do as Ladislav is off doing it, right. you know? So yeah, that's juxtaposition. It's Ken. juxtaposition. You use the right word. What can I say? <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> it happens. No, uh, no, that's, I think that's a really smart point. Um, okay. Anything else that we want to bring up? Anything else we want to talk about before we move on to section two? Uh, I got to say we went longer than I thought we would. Um, heard that before on this episode. Can you get just, Come on. Oh, man. (laughs) Can you guys just get me up to speed as to where you are with the what the fellowship is after what they're doing? Okay. All right. So, Ryan, did you have to bring this up? I I just want to. I'm not sure where I know they haven't. I don't think they've got to the end of the world. No, they have not. So Logan, Logan takes control and says we are going on to the city that starts with an A and I can't remember the name of it. And the navigator is like, I don't think we should do that. And he says, shut up. Navigator, we're going that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then they get in a fight, and then they sew up Giselle's face, and that's where we're at. Right. So that is accurate. And it also, this is why I'm so frustrated, honestly, with this book as a whole, but especially this storyline. Because, again, tell me something. (laughs) Anything. Okay. I have... No, they're going west, I think. They're going west to find the MacGuffin. That's what's the MacGuffin? Who gives a crap? Yeah, like it, with a, it, it's actually it really is driving me crazy. Honestly, a MacGuffin. We know it doesn't matter what the MacGuffin is. Let's take the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. We don't care what's inside of it, but we care that our. But we know what that it is a briefcase. It is a physical object that we can see. And we care why the heroes are after heroes <laughs> in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Right, there are no right. heroes, um, but the protagonists are after it. There we um, go. And we want them to succeed. And we know that that they want to succeed because their boss wants it. And so that is their quest, right? Right. Um, it, what's the MacGuffin? Why should I give one single ass of a rat 
about <laughs> where they're going and why they're going there and what they're doing. It, it really is like the it's characters true. that I'm reading are interesting enough that I, it's not like I get to those sections and roll my eyes. So the characters are interesting, but I don't care. I don't care where they're going mm-hmm. and I don't care whether they succeed. And, um, we and I'm now, yeah. I am now halfway through this trilogy. I should have something by now. I, it's, I, I'm going to go ahead and just call it personal taste. It's a subjective matter, but I don't like it. I why, why are they taking the box and why are they marching to the end of the world? And why should I care? That's literally all we know so far. Oh, I've completely forgotten about, about yeah, the box. They got, the they box got the doesn't box. even get talked about. The, the box out of the, the Terrace of the Makers or whatever it was called. The House, the house of the Makers. The House of the Makers. Yeah. And they're, they're marching off to the end of the world with it for some reason. That's all we got. And now the guy who can tell us is short-circuited. Anyway, so I was I was going to end the episode having forgotten to bring this up and, uh, you know, talking about all the things that I like. And, and there are. I, there are a lot of things that I'm liking about this, but that is not one of them. Uh, it is not not uh, not my favorite storytelling method of all time, Ryan. Okay. I hope that's fair. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm going back and going, is this one of those things that is it a is it a knock against the series in the book for first time readers, but on second reread is like a really great thing because you already know it ahead of time because obviously like if you're missing that like I don't like I don't remember that from my first read that right. experience there I remember they had the box I remember them having to go to the end of the world and Baez I felt like Baez don't gave give anything something. away no I felt like Baez when they got the box made some comment about why they needed the box. But it was something very simple, like to carry an item. That, yeah, we need to keep something locked in. Or yeah, whatever. I, I need, and it's you look at the, the the fellowship that he has with him. He has specific people there for specific reasons, and I think that I think that has been mentioned, but it's not something that you would necessarily grab hold on the first read through. Yeah, but you need to look at what is unique about each member of the fellowship to help guide that thought process I, and i think i'm going to tell you this I, and I, this isn't a spoiler alert or anything this is um actually no i take that back i was like i think you're going to get pissed, <laughs> More pissed. Oh, nice. <laughs> but I, I changed my mind you're not going to get pissed <laughs> you'll get something eventually uh, well i mean I'm sh- well. I shouldn't say I'm sure. <laughs> I'm I'm sure by the end of the trilogy, I will have some answers. I'm telling you right now. But- if I don't come back for book three, this is why, and it's your fault. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, <laughs> let's adjourn for today. We'll go and read section two uh, and get to that. Uh, this is this is the longest we've probably ever taken to read three books um, <laughs> that that weren't written by Tolkien. Um, or Jordan or well, well time wise yeah that, that's I'm yeah. just thinking like yeah I know for for those listening it's it is taking us a while to get through this the Christmas season is over so hopefully we can speed it up a little bit um, anyway so we'll be back with part two of before they were hanged um, before too long <laughs> there, there's the promise I'm making I, I don't know what date it's coming out on uh, but it, it'll be a little quicker than it has been so we'll see you there. Uh, don't forget to do all the things I mentioned earlier, thelegendarium.com, go to Discord, um, send me links to all the, the questions we were talking about uh, earlier. You know, if you have resources and you want to tell me all about whatever, if go you ahead make and a, send it. If you make a shirt that says 
Glockta and Dagoska with the Gurkish. We want one. <laughs> um, and then besides Discord, go to patreon.com slash legendarium. You can also get that link at thelegendarium.com. Uh, and lastly, subscribe on YouTube. Um, I'm doing weekly live streams. Ryan even popped into one a couple yeah. weeks ago. It was great. Uh, so we do weekly live streams there. Uh, plus, the these episodes are on, uh, on YouTube. And then I do additional videos every so often. So... Uh, like 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 and subscribe everybody there now i'm a good youtuber thanks for listening thanks for watching and i will see you guys next time